This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Hi, this is Dorinda Wood, and I was the costume designer on Star Trek The Next Generation Season 2, and you are listening to Trek FM. T.O. Grey Hot. Welcome, listeners, to another cup of Earl Grey, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I am your host, Amy Nelson. I am back, and I am so glad to have with me Justin and Joe. Hey, Justin, I'm back. Did you miss me? Uh, yeah, we definitely missed you. Oh, my goodness. And we were so sorry that the f- a couple weeks ago when we interviewed Robin Curtis, you were sick and you couldn't make it, unfortunately. But then, of course, you had something more fun where you went to Santiago, Chile for a couple weeks. And how was that? Was that fun? It was amazing. Uh, I was very safe. I know I had a lot of people on Twitter telling me to be safe. There was protests in the city and... But no, it was absolutely wonderful. The people there in Chile were amazing. Oh my gosh, it was so much fun. But I would recommend it for sure. And I'm glad you were feeling better by the time you took the trip, right? Oh, I know. I just, it killed me to miss that interview. Oh, and it turned out so well. And she just is a delight. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, Joe, hello. Yes. I'm not entirely sure. Justin, is this Amy or is this some kind of imposter? We should test her. Okay. What is your favorite TV show? <laughs> Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, it's Amy Nelson. She is back. With my favorite character, Amy. Troy. <laughs> uh, must yes. be Amy Nelson. Yeah. Not an imposter. Excellent. So you guys aren't going to trade me in for other hosts like show up in April. They're just doing great. Well, you know, if you keep on going off for extended periods of time, you know, we'll have them in backup. So. Yeah. They they did great. Thank you guys for filling in great topics. And as usual, you guys are hilarious. And yeah, it's all good. <laughs> Thank you. Well, uh, Justin, I do believe we would like to have you tell us something. Uh, yeah. So as we record this, it's December 7th. And a couple of days ago, we lost someone very important in the Star Trek universe. So I wanted to say a little bit about that. So that was DC Fontana, who is a... Uh, writer on the original series, the animated series, and the next generation, also a producer on uh, the animated series and next generation. So uh, she was somebody that was just so extremely important to the beginnings of Star Trek and the foundations and building out, you know, Vulcan characters and mythology and uh, so many things that would lay the foundations for later Star Trek. And of course, she had an important role um, in the in the very beginnings of the next generation and has you know credits on on some of the the early episodes including encounter at far point so 
I uh, just wanted to take a few moments for us to, you know, just remember what an amazing influence she was on the entire universe of Star Trek. And we wouldn't really be here, I think, talking about the next generation without her, her influence. So it was just very sad to, to see her passing a couple of days ago. It was. It was very sad to hear of her passing. And when I saw this, it, I just instantly remembered the interviews that she has done with Aaron Harvey on Saturday Morning Trek and uh, with Larry Nemechek quite a lot on Trek Files. And just to hear her and the decades that she has been with Star Trek and how she started in the 60s and how women and like, you know, she used her initials to try and hide her femininity in that culture and that she thrived and that she did what she had to to survive um, really uh, just for me personally to to go through all of that and and be in such a man's world and still be productive and leaving this legacy that is Star Trek is really quite amazing. She she is definitely one that is an unsung hero to me. Your thoughts, Joe? Such nice words. Uh, everybody that knows me, that I work with, uh, my family, they all know how much Star Trek means to me. Um, and the other night, the day it was announced that she had passed away, um, my head teacher, my school principal, messaged me on Facebook to say, I just heard DC Fontana died. Are you okay? Mm. And I was like... Yeah, no, that's really nice of you to say. Um, I didn't know her personally, but um, it's a great loss to um, the franchise and the fandom. All right. Well, Justin, we have an email from our good friend Christian. That's right. We did receive an email recently from uh, Christian Jewell from Long Beach, California. Uh, this was in regards to Earl Grey 298, which is when we talked about Keiko with our guest Jen Tift. So Christian says, wonderful episode on a favorite character of mine, Keiko. She's always been an overlooked character in my opinion. When you look at Trek at the time, she was one half of, of the only long-term relationship until we see Ram and Lita, Worf and Dax, and then Tom and Balana. They were the first of many. As a teacher myself, I don't mind that she jumped from one career to another. Let's retcon her character and think that perhaps she was a biology teacher who became a botanist aboard, aboard the D. When this was first airing, I was in high school and knew that at the time I wanted to be a teacher, so I always felt a kinship with her. Uh, and then he says, uh, Justin, in TNG book number 22, Imbalance, she had a big role in that one. It was one of my favorites of the numbered series, so you should give it a read. She was also a cover character in The Tempest, a late DS9 numbered novel. Rosalind Chow was also in one of my favorite movies, The Joy Luck Club, and gave an amazing performance in her scene in the rain. For all you listeners, I recommend you watching that if you have not. Keep up the amazing work. I look forward to each pod. Thank so thank you so much, Christian, for taking the time to write that email about uh, Keiko. I mean, of course, you gave me another book recommendation that I need to <laughs> to look into, which is always appreciated. And Rosalind Chow, you mentioned the Joy Luck Club. She was also uh, did a couple of episodes toward the end of, of MASH, which is one of my favorite shows as uh, the person who became Klinger's wife. So that's what I remember her from as well. So really appreciate the thoughts and glad you enjoyed the episode. And he had some things in there, Amy, about uh, trying to take into account Keiko being a teacher. I don't know if it works for you. Yeah, it was interesting because I had just visited Christian uh, in California. And then like a couple of days later, I get this email. I was like, oh my gosh, Christian's <laughs> everywhere. So it was, it was a good thing. But yeah, I really like 
that idea that, okay, maybe she was a biology teacher. I can go on board with that or a botanist teacher. I can be on board. So that does lessen my anxiety about that issue. So thank you, Christian, for retconning that for me. Yay, Christian. Problem solved. <laughs> suppose Picard was almost an archaeologist, then became a Starfleet captain. Yeah, yeah it can happen. In a roundabout way. So. People yeah. change. I really want to know how long Long Beach is. <laughs> is that like a really notably long beach? Or say, did they not have a an imagination for naming the place they found? That's a good question. Christian, let us know. I mean, I think it is a relative. You know what's funny? I used to live in Washington State, and about 40 miles to the west of us was Long Beach, Washington. And I can tell you, it, I think that's actually one of the longest beaches in the world up there. It's miles and miles okay. and miles of beach. Hmm. I don't know how it compares to Long Beach, California, but I think there is something there like it was just like a notably long stretch of beach or something. I don't know. I figure there'll be a Wikipedia page somewhere with called Long Beaches Around yeah. the World and it'll rank them by <laughs> the length. length. <laughs> the, the longest one will be called Longest Beach yeah. from now on. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet you didn't know before that there was a Long Beach in Washington, did you? I did not. Yeah, know. it's it's lesser known. I've only I only knew about the Long Beach, California, because I'm sure that's in a movie or a TV show. Or... It's pr- it's pretty well known, and apparently, looking in Wikipedia, there's a Long Beach, New York, as well. So there you go. We'll have to see which one's the longest. <laughs> <laughs> there's a, a Long Beach, um, like just a, not far from where I live. Oh, really? It's not called Long Beach. It's just a Long Beach. Okay, well, it does say that uh, it was named Long Beach for its long, wide beaches <laughs> when the city became incorporated in 1888. There you wow, go. those city incorporator folks really knew how to name things, didn't they? <laughs> I did want to come back to the Keiko episode and just give you some snippets of feedback, if that's okay. Please. Okay, this will be Joe... Joe's feedback corner for when he's not here. Yes, this is this little Babel conference feedback, but it's live and Amy and Justin have never heard <laughs> it before. So first point to say is that I really like Jen. She was kind of had this infectious joy about her um, and I can't wait to talk to her next time she's on as a guest. Um, the jury, unfortunately, is still out on Keiko for me. However, I will, I'm going to rewatch all the Keiko episodes in order with this new information in mind. All 27 of them? It, yeah, I watch Star Trek all the time. That's <laughs> okay. That's like, a, that's like a few days viewing. Okay, jo- Justin's a vegetarian, apparently. Mm-hmm. Oh, you did not know this know before? This. Yeah, it's... it's oh. This is news to me. It it doesn't tend to come up when we're talking about Star Trek, yeah. but it did that time. But no, it wouldn't there you really. Go. <laughs> uh, however, your um, Keiko's meal, plankton loaf <laughs> and kelp buds and sea berries, yeah. is kind of off the menu for you given that plankton is both plant and animal. <laughs> you know, I haven't had to think about it because I, I don't think I've had plankton before. Mm. But no. maybe it, maybe it's like plankton loaf, as in it's the flavor of plankton in a loaf, but not with plankton. That's stretching <laughs> it, but okay. Okay, yeah. Mm. Possibly. Um, okay, one last point. Sea berries yeah. are also known as sea buckthorn, um, and they're edible. So you could have them and it's okay. a plant that's indigenous to colder parts of Asia. I'll have to whip myself up some sea berries <laughs> wherever I can get them. And there ends Joe's feedback section. All okay. right. Yeah, Jen was wonderful. It was nice to have her. 
Yeah, she's delightful. It was great. And and Joe, have you heard uh, the podcast that she's on, Snapchat? I have not. You no. should. It's it's, it's a pretty fun podcast. Yeah, where they just compare two episodes of Star Trek with some common theme that they think of, and they do it like a game okay. show, like giving points to different episodes. Oh, like Snap. Yeah. The game. Okay. Yeah. Got you. It's very cool. Well, thank you for your feedback, Joe. <laughs> yes. You're very welcome. It's my pleasure. Well, let's get to uh, some iTunes reviews. So, Joe, why don't you start us off? Okay. Awful Dreams um, via Apple Podcasts in the US on the 8th of November this year with the subject Earl Grey and it's a three-star review. Still enjoy the show, but feel it's become a little too same old, same old with the same episode topics. Go boldly, go boldly with new ideas. Felt the original hosts and then Lee and his spell brought some unique ideas and formats to keep the show fresh and interesting each week. Um, thank you, Awful Dreams. I hope your dreams get better in future. Um, in terms of your feedback, I'm new to podcasting, so um, and I've not listened to all the previous Earl Grey episodes before, so what I'm doing is certainly new to me. Um, but we appreciate your feedback and we're always open to kind of new ideas and maybe trying to freshen up the, the format in future. You know, uh, it's very interesting. And I think what, when I read this and I think, okay, well, what's the same old, same old. And I think about our serialized episodes of, you know, we are continuing our science in TNG. We are talking about serialized. We had like our badass moments for each character. Like those things I I could see how someone might say are the same old, same old, because we're it's the same, you know, if we're talking badass Picard moments, then we're talking badass Riker moments. And then so that format I can see would be uh I guess the same old, same old. However, with the different characters, um, I, so, I sort of like focusing that way, uh, focusing on specifically the science in TNG, specifically focusing on serialized nature um, from our collective fan sets. So uh, thank you so much for your comments, Awful Dreams, and uh I we definitely are thinking about that and maybe you are more familiar or more wanting episodic and brand new topics each week and we can work on that. Yeah, I just want to say a couple of things. So thank you for your feedback and whatever reviews that we get, we will read them. Of course, they're not all five star, which is fine. We can get some constructive feedback. So I, I would just kind of be curious if if you're listening, Awful Dreams, to uh, send us some of your ideas for the kinds of things that you'd like to see us cover here. We're always open to that. Oh, yeah. We, we have people tell us, oh, what about this idea? And then, yeah, we steal it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Okay, sweet dreams. Night night. <laughs> Well, we have Crashing the Wave uh, on our Apple podcast, given also on November 8th, and it is a four-star review, subject, great podcast. Great podcast and content. I usually fast forward the beginning. Having listeners listen to reviews seems a tad self-serving, but once you're past that, it's a great show. All right. Well, thank you, Crashing the Wave. Um, we did start doing the listener feedback. This is only a recent thing. 
Uh, for, well, I think we've been catching up with the reviews, so these sections have been maybe longer. And and I can see that maybe we can kind of limit what we have here in in this section. But I just kind of like having it up front and uh, and being able to hear the feedback. And it's funny uh, saying reading the review seems to have self-serving and we're reading that review that says that. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we're always looking for, for good feedback and it may be something we take into account as far as how long this particular section takes sometimes. Well, and if you consider from the beginning of Earl Grey with previous hosts, because, mm-hmm. you know, I've been on a little different. longer. Yeah, we never did nor did the original host do feedback. So this is relatively new for those listeners who have yeah. listened to Oliver O'Brien. I thought the listeners liked us reading out their feedback. That's just, I think so. I don't know that for certain, just anecdotally, like if you read out before I started podcasting, if you read out my name on a podcast and I was listening to it while walking the dogs, I was like, oh, they just mentioned my name. Yeah, the same thing happened for me like before I got into Highlight of my week, yeah. yeah. Well, I think that we have a lot of listeners that don't necessarily engage or comment. So, mm. yeah. Okay. Something to think about. Yeah. So, so thank you for those reviews and keep the reviews coming because they help other listeners to find the show. Yes. So we will hold off on our Babel Conference feedback <laughs> until next time. So uh, you don't have to fast forward too much. So let's get to today's discussion, which is science in the next generation. We last time started with season seven, and we just had so much to talk about. So we're going to continue our season seven review. So uh, Justin, why don't you give us the review for Parallels? Uh, Sure. So Parallels. After Worf returns from a Batleth tournament, he's the only person who notices subtle changes on the Enterprise. Of course, this is the one where he keeps going from universe to universe, uh, which is tends to be definitely a fan favorite episode. Absolutely. So, Joe, why is this on our list? The, the tagline, I suppose, I gave this was the multiverse. And then that was the obvious tagline. Okay, And I know I'm a scientist, but then I started to look into the multiverse and I just wanted to go lie down in a dark corner somewhere and maybe never wake uh, up. Oh, was really that disturbing? It. <laughs> no, it's just the the sheer magnitude of the what people think about the multiverse and what it could be as the idea if you kind of zoom out of our universe. Now those animations you get online and you can zoom into atoms and then you can zoom out and see planets and stars and galaxies and things. Mm-hmm. If you keep on zooming out, you see the observable universe, and then you zoom out more, and our universe becomes this kind of like soap bubble floating in nothingness, surrounded by billions of other soap bubbles that are all essentially universes in their own right with their own physical constants and um, laws that govern them. And that's just one idea about what the multiverse could be. And there are so many other ideas. Is it like in this episode... Um, there are different quantum realities where if at the simplest explanation you roll a, a six-sided dice, then there are going to be six other universes in existence where that dice roll was, and one of them was one, and then another one was two, up to it was the last universe was six. So for every option or choice or decision that you have or make, there is a universe with that decision haven't been made in it. Um, so it just totally fries my head. 
You know, when I think about this episode, and I absolutely love this because I love the Troy Wharf connection here, but um, talking specifically about the multiverse and having it marinate in my head for so many years, I wonder, like, what choice warrants a split in a universe? Do you know what I'm asking? Because, like, am I going to, you know... Like this morning, it's Saturday morning. Uh, am I going to wake up at 7 a.m. or 8 a.m.? That's so inconsequential, but it's a choice that I made while I was laying in bed if I go back to sleep or not. Like, is it every single choice, which I can't imagine? And we see here with Worf that it's like, well, he didn't win versus he did win at the tournament. Well, it's. I think it's interesting that you mentioned that because I think there are theories that absolutely every single moment and every single choice branches off another set of of universes possibly you know because there might be a huge number of possible things that can be done in that moment a huge number of universes every every moment uh what wharf is doing though maybe is a little bit different because it's like he's kind of bouncing between them it's not that the things he's doing are necessarily creating other branching universes but he's kind of shifting between them and when i think of this this idea i mean joe i think you mentioned like two possibilities one is there's our entire universe that's self-contained and kind of floating within some larger thing and there are other universes like ours and the other idea is that subtle changes can lead to other branching universes and do those exist like those soap bubbles or are they like slightly displaced because sometimes i think of it almost like uh in time's arrow when they're these creatures are slightly out of phase i think of that as almost like an alternate like universe kind of, but I, but sometimes I don't know how to think about these things, but, but I mean, the idea of a multiverse is, you know, a, a real interpretation of, you know, physical laws, like, like quantum mechanics. It's, it could be possible. It could be like that. I don't know how we would test it, but (laughs) that's, that's the big question, isn't it? To date, there's been no evidence. There was one guy whose name I forget who used a, bunch of cosmological data from a new satellite that had been launched um, and thought he saw existence for our universe being affected by something external to our universe, which made him think of the idea it could be another universe. Um, but then newer satellites have just put that down to kind of statistical noise and that you couldn't infer what he inferred from the data. There was nothing. Amy, to answer your question about what magnitude of choice would constitute forming another universe, if you work on the idea that there are an infinite number of alternate universes, and that means that every single choice could lend itself to creating another universe for everybody that's ever existed. Yeah, it's mind-boggling. Which is is uh like where... How is all of that happening at the same time? How are there, you know, copies of myself and all of these other universes? Where does all the energy to power it come from? I just think of like how, how, <laughs> like how is that even possible? But I don't think our brains are designed to be able to cope with that level of knowledge. We're too small. Yeah, when I, you know, because I like 
trying to figure out, okay, how is this going to affect my life? And so I, I think of, okay, well, if I were to look back, like, where would I be if I made this different choice? And so when I look back personally in my life, it's really only decisions that have a greater magnitude, right? Should I go to school at University of Utah or should I go to Brigham Young University? Like those choices have, you know, significance. Whereas, okay, am I going to wake up at seven or eight, you know? So I think about those and it's like, okay, where would my life be? It's sort of a fun thought experiment. Like, where would I be had I made this choice? Where would I be? And that's why I love parallels um, because of that and that idea of multiverse. But when you think about every decision branching off, then that just yeah. blows my mind. But Joe, I think according to what we see in in Star Trek, the significance does matter because you will see people travel into the past and there will be a certain significance of change that will change the future. And then other things where it's like, all right, we flew under the radar. Everything's fine. It's the same as before. So, right. So I think in, in the Star Trek universe, it's like not necessarily because you would think every choice, everything, every like change, then time travel would automatically like split off a different set of universes. Right. I think we get that from Star Trek, don't we? If we make, like, the butterfly flaps its wings and there's a tsunami in Right, Japan. but there are sometimes, like, like for example, in Trials and Tribulations, they go back in time to, to you know, visit this station and all of these things, but it's kind of like, you know, they feel it's not significant enough to change the future, but maybe how do they know because they're predestined to do it anyway? I mean, it gets really complicated. And that yeah. sort of reminds me of, and I apologize, it's a great episode on Deep Space Nine, I just don't know the title. The one where they're in the camps and Cisco and the one guy dies, but then Cisco takes his place to do this movement. Yeah, past tense. Past tense. Like, that's a serious difference but yet it doesn't change they play it off like oh the picture is just different exactly <laughs> and so it's like wait a minute so i think sci-fi gets to pick and choose when it makes a difference and when it doesn't and yeah. that guy that died um whatever his name was the the guy that was supposed to start the revolution right. free people from the camps surely there would be an impact because he's now dead so he wouldn't have a family in the future and then generations down the line, whatever they do, it's going to have a bigger impact because he's got right. more, um, not ancestors, but people in front of You're you. You're definitely right about that. But I guess that gets into what I was asking about before. Like maybe, no, but they are changing. But they do see changes. Like it's Cisco's picture instead of, uh, instead of this other guy whose name for whatever reason is escaping me. But, yeah, so some change has happened because of that time travel. But I think the episode's saying on the essential things, the Federation forming and Deep Space Nine being basically the same, it's fine. But yeah, that guy and his descendants or family or whatever have been changed. Descendants. That's the word I was trying to get. Oh. Descendants. Yeah, I guess you're right, Justin. So it depends on where your uh, point of view is. So if you are a descendant of... Gosh, what was that name? What was his name, Justin? Gabriel Bell. Yes, Bell. Uh. I, yeah. So, you know, if you are 
obviously, well, you couldn't be a descendant anymore, but you know, if you were closely related and had ties to the Bell family, then your point of view is definitely going to change. But if you're just looking at from this, all right, Federation point of view, probably not much is going to change. Yeah. You're like, eh, what, what, what happened afterward? Like it was important for him to be this symbol, right. but like what happened afterwards doesn't matter because it, it brings into being all of these other things that lead to the Federation and all of that. So as far as we're concerned, when we return, things are the same. Right. Whereas if they look in the records, they're like, oh, that's funny. It's Cisco's picture now yeah. on this mm. article about Gabriel Bell. And of course, there's that funny thing where Quark's like, does that look like Cisco? He's <laughs> like, oh, you think they all look the same. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. But but yeah, it, like especially when you get into time travel, I think it becomes really complicated i actually think that's one of the reasons why time travel to the past is probably impossible because it would lead to all of these changes to things you already know whereas like we already time travel to the future right we're already and if you travel at a fast enough speed you're kind of effectively time traveling to the future i think that's totally possible but like getting back to the past it seems like even though it's cool to do that in star trek like it would create too many problems Mm -hmm. you know yeah i know i would agree like if the arrow of time is always going forward, then that's already the th- the past has already been the arrangement of atoms at that point in the universe has all already happened. So the atoms in the universe are already right. in a new arrangement. Whereas the f- if the future hasn't been written yet, then you can change it, mm. right? Yes, but likewise, I don't think it's possible to jump forward into the future in that sense, like go through some kind of portal and be in like 2356. Well, I, but I mean, if, if you travel close enough to the, the speed of light, from your perspective, a lot less time has passed and you can effectively time travel to the future, right? Yes, but that's just time dilation. Time has slowed down for, for you. you compared to yeah. those that are outside of your frame. But but as far as you're concerned, it's like you travel to the future, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I know, but you're still in that. Yeah. Unit. Anyway. I've not right. jumped. I've still the rate of change of time for me is just different. Yeah, it's, a it's not a jump. It's just more of, you know, relativity. Yeah, yeah, well, it is. Yeah, but anyway, I, but that is a that is kind of like a form of time travel, at least as far as your perceptions, that is absolutely possible True. and definitely happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But all right. Oh. <laughs> so, um, yeah, let's move on because I've okay. <laughs> you've got a headache. <laughs> I need some aspirin. Past yeah. is the future. The future is the past. It makes my head hurt. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get to our next episode, The Pegasus. Justin? Okay. So when Riker's first commanding officer comes aboard to aid in the search of the vessel they served on, he's forced to rethink the actions he took at that time. Uh, and of course, this is the one with the secret project with the phased cloaking device on the Pegasus, which in a very cool way they use on the Enterprise. I, I think it's cool because it's like the only time I think you see the Enterprise D cloak, right? It's just awesome to see that. Yeah. But anyway, mm. that's yeah. this episode. All right, Joe, why are we talking about the Pegasus? Oh, another thing I don't really understand. <laughs> I'm kind of failing as, as a scientist at the moment. So previously we've talked about quantum tunneling and obviously this comes up with the, the idea of the phased cloak. I think the last time... We saw it was when um, LaForge and Rolarin died, but didn't die. They were just cloaked and phased, but refused to fall through the floor. 
And so as a, an extension to that, we see the Enterprise being able to travel through an asteroid um, and be invisible at the same time. And quantum tunneling is one of these really, really cool quantum effects that happens. Uh, and it happens in nature. Like it happens, plants use it during photosynthesis. It happens stellar fusion in stars. It happens all over the place. Um, one of the problems for us, though, is as our semiconductor devices get smaller, you know, transistors are and everything that's electronic, transistors are electronic switches, and they can be either on or off. So you can do binary logic with them, and that's how computers and everything electronic operates. So as these semiconductor channels get smaller and smaller and smaller, they'll get to the scale where quantum tunneling effects start to happen, which basically says that if the barrier is small enough, then an electron or another subatomic particle will be able to basically tunnel through that barrier without being impeded in any way. Yeah, and just, Justin. yeah, well, and I was going to say, I think we talked about it before, but just to be clear about this, this is a really strange thing that happens at the, the, the tiny level of subatomic particles where it seems like they're going to toward a barrier and can effectively yes. kind of disappear and reappear on the other side, or at least a certain percentage of them can, right? Because there's a probability it can happen, something like that. Yes. <laughs> so it was Sch Schrodinger's wave equation basically says for all quantum particles, all subnuclear particles, there's a wave function that's associated with them. So any particle can be a wave and you've heard of the idea of wave particle duality where like take light the photons of light exist as both particles and waves at the same time if you do experiments on them to see observe wave-like phenomenon then they behave like waves but if you do um, particle-like experiments like the photoelectric effect then they behave as part um, particles but you can't see them both at the same time mm -hmm. um, then I've used up all my brain power. <laughs> <laughs> well, but the crazy thing about the Pegasus is basically it's like the whole ship is kind of tunneling through matter, right? In a way? Yes, I think I think that's something that we haven't invented yet or come up with the idea that we can phase normal matter kind of partially out of existence, thereby allowing it to travel through other normal matter. And with quantum tunneling, it's slightly different. I think at a macro level, which it never happens in, there's, you could think of it like I'm going to throw a tennis ball at a wall. And every time I do that, I know intuitively that the tennis ball is going to rebound and come back to me. Okay. But if that was a quantum particle, then because it's got a wave function, there's a probability that the particle will be able to go through the wall. But actually, I think there is a probability that a tennis ball can pass right through the wall. But the probability, because it's a big object, is so small, it's mm -hmm. unlikely to happen in the life of the universe, right? But it's still technically possible. <laughs> if you threw the ball an infinite number of times, then yes, at least some, some of those times, the ball would go through the wall. However, there are so many subatomic particles arranged in the ball and in the wall that for each one of them, that there would have to be an alignment that allowed them all to quantum tunnel at the same time on the same throw. So statistically speaking, it's improbably infinitesimally small that it would happen. But it's kind of crazy that it is technically possible. 
technically possible, <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's not going to happen. No. Justin, I don't want you to go and get a tennis ball and start throwing it at the wall. And then next week we just start the Zoom and you're a skeleton because <laughs> you've thrown the ball at the, there's a hole in the wall. Not because the tennis ball has gone through it, because you've punched a hole in the wall yeah, through it's, sheer frustration. It's, it's extremely unlikely. Or as a person, like technically, you might be able to walk through that wall, but it's so incredibly unlikely that you'll never really see it. Exactly. And you should earn a Darwin Award for that because you're <laughs> going to knock yourself out on more than one occasion. Definitely. It's a really fascinating topic. Yeah, I about understood a tenth of what you guys were talking about. <laughs> I understood the uh, large, Statistics yes, I was like, oh, I know that. Yeah, yes. oh, I <laughs> and I get Justin's point that's like mathematically, yes, but realistically, no. <laughs> yeah, but but I think it's it's really something that this this idea at the really small scale that things can kind of be able to just pass through barriers kind of instantly is kind of essential for the things that power stars, which is the reason that we're here in the first place, right? Like it's kind of like, if you didn't have those effects, I don't think nuclear fusion would work the way that it should in order to, for life to be possible. So it's actually like this strange effect, but it's somehow essential for us even being here. I just think that's crazy. Yeah, it's essential to the the functioning of the universe. It's just that we don't understand it all that well because we don't have the technology. It's bizarre because we we these things are really small. We don't see those things. Like someone walks up to a wall, and every once in a while they just pass through it like it's not there. Like we have no concept of that, right? Yeah, because our lives are based around classical mechanics, Newton's laws, things that we can easily observe but without using any really advanced technology. But it's when you start to move really fast, like you said, closer to the speed of light or um, like you're in the event horizon of a black hole or you're at the quantum level. It's where the laws of physics or classical physics starts to break down and a new set of rules takes over. I'd like to think of it like both sets of rules are there, but when things are really big, the those kind of quantum, rule, quantum rules just are so incredibly unlikely to come into effect Mm. and it's like as it gets smaller and smaller like when you get to the really small scale it's like the classical effects don't matter anymore it's like these really weird quantum things that kind of take over it's like they're both there but like the importance just shifts right yeah everything has the same set of rules there's just different criteria by which you apply them yeah anyway it would be weird if you were just like this tiny subatomic particle what would life be like for you or I'd randomly just fell through the sofa. It's <laughs> <laughs> <Just> like, hey. <laughs> wow. Okay, so let's get to the next episode. Maybe I'll have something to contribute. <laughs> Listeners, are you still with us? I hope so. Oh, goodness. <laughs> uh, so thine own self. So Justin, remind our listeners what that episode is about. All right, so this is put very succinctly. Data suffers amnesia in a primitive society while Troy applies for a promotion. <laughs> Um, basically, yeah, it's the one where data, uh, his memory is, is kind of, uh, messed up and he can't remember who he is. And he has this radioactive thing he brings into this town and starts, um, poisoning the people, people. get po- radiation poisoning. Yeah. Mm. All right, Joe, why are we talking about thine own self? Because Troy gets a promotion. <laughs> Well, no, can we just first mention that Troy only gets that promotion because she kills yes, Jordy. Yes, we can. Holographic I'm happy Jordy. to talk about that. Oh. <laughs> no, that's not really why I wanted to mention why 
Troy's a terrible human being <laughs> and killed Jordy. Hmm. The needs of the so, many, Joe. The needs of the many. Indeed. Outweigh the needs of the Jordy. So, <laughs> this, is, this is true. Rock, fire, sky, water. Kind of my tagline on this one. I'm going to quote what Talur says, who's the the village medic, I suppose, the village healer. She says, while she's teaching the, the local school children, rock, fire, sky and water are the basic elements of the universe. They can be found in every object, every person, every animal, everything. The rock in this wood can be felt by its weight and by its hardness. If we expose the wood to flame, we encourage we can encourage the fire within the wood to show itself. We can also see smoke, which is part of the sky. The water in the wood is difficult to see. Sometimes the elements are buried deep within the objects, but the four elements are always there. And then she gets interrupted by Data, who's given her the like, proper side eyes. Like, she's just talking nonsense. And there's something I wanted to talk about in terms of language that we use and kind of scientific language, how, like... Essentially, I'm a science teacher, but for some of the things we're talking about, I'm still kind of a layperson, and I think we're all in that position. We can all, to the best of our ability, use scientific language, um, but we can't necessarily speak with any authority on it. And I think there's maybe a problem in the world. There was a meme the other day that I saw that scientists had discovered a new strain of fact-resistant humans. Oh, like, no matter what you say, no matter kind of, like, the death of the expert, like, people don't trust experts anymore. Um, climate change deniers, there's anti-vaxxers because of what Andrew Wakefield wrote um, a few years ago. Um, Andrew Wakefield was that British doctor who published a, a report on the link between um, the MMR vaccine, which vaccinates children against measles, mumps and rubella um, and it's linked to causing autism in children and it turns out he fabricated all the evidence and was then struck off by the General Medical Council and is no longer a practicing doctor. However anti-vaxxers have taken that um, research um, and now there's lots of people dying around the world like children and adults something like is it 130,000 people around the world have died from measles in the last year because anti-vaxxers, people that are resistant to the facts, aren't listening to people that are experts that have general kind of a good sound understanding of the effects of these things and haven't just read it on some random website. So there's a serious point that I want to talk about here. Um, so, for instance... I'm going to invite you guys to dinner tomorrow, and by the magic of technology, you will appear in my you're, living room. You're going to invent the transporter? Of, the magic of quantum tunneling. <laughs> oh, yeah, yes. there we go. Th through the, I'll pull you through the earth, and you'll arrive, arrive here. So I'm going to serve some really nice roast chicken, and... So you both like roast chicken. Uh, it, I'm going to serve you some tofu, <laughs> Justin, okay, you, or something vegetarian. Okay. Because I just remembered <laughs> you're vegetarian. <laughs> um, also, I'm going to serve you something that I've been working on for ages. Um, tell me tell me whether or not you'll eat it um, before I work so hard to prepare it. So it contains um, chromium and copper 
and potassium and zinc and some manganese with a little bit of selenium. Sounds like a vitamin. <laughs> what is this? Would you? Would you? I, I I don't know. It has those elements, but what is the source of the elements? Does it matter the source? Well, would you be interested? I'm going to serve you some no, selenium, no. Amy. Okay, fine. You won't eat my delicious broccoli oh. then. <laughs> See, there you go. The the source matters because if you said I'm going to serve you some delicious mineral and it comes from like beef, I'd be like no. But if it comes from broccoli, I'd be like yes. The source yeah, matters. The idea was that people will hone in on like one element mm-hmm. and they'll know like, oh, like uh, potassium. If I take a chunk of potassium and throw it in water, it's going to have a really violent explosion. Yeah. Not explosion, a really violent reaction, potentially catch fire and might send kind of particles of burning water at me. Um, however, there's potassium. We need potassium in our diet. It's just bonded to other atoms to form compounds that are useful to us. Individually, those atoms would kill us, but as compounds, the chemical nature has changed. So again, there's lots of people that will just grasp on a one unimportant fact, and then that becomes the truth for them. Mm. And therefore becomes like mercury used in vaccines. Mercury is toxic to us, but in terms of the vaccine, it's very mm-hmm. useful. And without the that toxic element being in it, it wouldn't do its job. But Joe, I think there's there's two things going on here because like if you talk about the the episode, that is kind of their best understanding based on the evidence they have at hand or their kind of limited understanding of, of the natural world. Um, but I think you've then gone on to to talk about like we have a much better understanding of the natural world and of what certain yes. things do. And I think you know, people have, I, I think what happens sometimes is that, you know, someone has an idea or a certain suspicion about something and there's something that confirms that and they'll just kind of hang on to it. But, but also like you talked about that one study that was done that people had, had uh, kind of hung on to and that had been debunked. Yeah. But, but there's also this thing that goes on where I think there's not an understanding of like the scientific process. Like you can't look at like one study and say, this is the be all end all to to reach a conclusion. You have to actually see, okay, let's do that again. You know, let's, let's evaluate and make sure these, these studies are telling us something statistically significant. And then if we see that in dozens and dozens of studies over the course of years, we can conclude like a certain conclusion. But I think sometimes people get confused, like a study said coffee's good. And then it said it's bad. And you know, that kind of thing. But it's really like the overall evidence among a lot of studies that you can trust that can tell you the conclusion. And that's, I think, a much more complicated thing to understand than what happens in one study, right? Oh, exactly, yeah. And that happens all the time. And that's the thing about a study, um, scientific studies especially, they should be peer-reviewed. So if you've studied something and um, you've got your set of results and you made conclusions about that set of results, in order to check that it's correct, you should send that, um, the the details of the experiment, to some other scientist um, who doesn't have your set of results, hasn't come up with your conclusions, to see if they can replicate those results with the experiment that you did. And if they can do it and you can do it, and potentially other people can do it, then it goes from being a scientific theory to being a scientific fact. It's been replicated so many times that it has to be the truth about what's happening in the universe. 
bit like the take the Big Bang. Yeah, it's called the Big Bang theory. However, the overwhelming weight of evidence suggests that it did happen. Okay, when we look at the cosmic microwave background radiation, which are the the kind of the heat embers left over from the Big Bang, we look at the, the rate of expansion of the universe, all the evidence, all the studies, all the data that we've collected points to, yes, there was a Big Bang. Same with the theory of evolution. Still called the theory of evolution, but all the evidence is out there and it's less of a theory and more of a, yeah, evolution did actually happen. Look at the fossil record, look at um, evolution that we can see happening all the time around us. Mm. What do you think about all this, Amy? Yeah. Um, well, when you first started talking about the verbiage that we use, you know, I really enjoyed that you read that first part of it because, you know, it just shows like where they are. And, you know, she's she's on to something that's like everything has a core something. You know, she just didn't use the words, you know, molecules, atom, protons, electrons. You know, she was using this rock, fire, sky and water and you know, and it just, I like seeing her use of evidence to support her. And that's where science begins. That's where science started. And, and I love that part of it because that's where we get to grow is by questioning and by saying, yeah, you can, and she, she has evidence for exactly, you know, fill the weight. That's the rock part of it, you know? And, um, I think about um, when I'm teaching my kids math and it's like, I want them using, like you were saying, the words, I want them using the mathematical vocabulary. However, there's this transition time of when they're still trying to formulate, what does this word mean? And so sometimes I want them explaining it in their own words versus on the test, say, I want them using the mathematical language, you know, but to see that transition it is beautiful. And that's one reason why I love thine own self. I think that that passage that Talur says is by far my favorite part of the episode because she is talking about science, but just the way that that society at their stage of kind of scientific evolution, that's the way they understand it. Um, I have the same problem um, in physics teaching um, getting kids to use the correct vocabulary and getting them to articulate their ideas because a lot of physics is problem solving and doing calculations and come up with the correct answer and kids can do that generally quite well but when you ask them to explain physical phenomenon or give us their ideas on some experiment they lack the they, they lack the language to be able to do that very well. And I'm a bit the same. Like, I hated writing essays at uni. But give me data and let me process it and draw a graph and come up with a conclusion. Much more comfortable. So I'm much more sitting on the math side, using maths as my language, rather than English as my language to communicate. So maybe we should be doing this podcast in the language of math for you? One zero one 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 zero one 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 zero zero one 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 zero. Do you get that? <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to our last episode, Genesis. Justin. Okay. So enter the Enterprise crew members devolve into prehistoric creatures after a medical treatment by Doctor Crusher goes wrong. Yep, they devolve, <laughs> which is a very unscientific concept. <laughs> 
Yes, I love this episode. I think it's just really fun and quirky and a bit daft. Um, but I just love the fact that it's a bit like Jurassic Park, almost, and that we've created creatures that used to exist. Um, however, I've called this one the origin of life part a zillion, I suppose, because we've spoken about the origin of life a few times and life elsewhere in the universe. So, very quickly, we have not found life anywhere else since the last time I mentioned it. You know what? When we do officially find life elsewhere, we just need to have a special Earl Grey episode to talk all about it. I think we have to, no matter where we are, what we're doing, we have to jump on Zoom and just start live, live episode. Yeah, but but maybe how quickly we, we do it depends on the find. Because if it's microbial life, it's like, ooh, that's cool. But if it's like, you know humanoid life would be like we're doing an episode right now <laughs> yes yeah, so like um if it's humanoid life would be way up here if it's microbial life elsewhere in the universe if it is like microbial life and um, somewhere used to exist like fossils of microbes found on mars and that's a bit lesser because it's not alive anymore it just maybe used to exist so we have to have a rank order I know because like the finding the humanoid life has to rank pretty high because we want to get some of those other like humanoids to guest on our own gray, right? See what they think there of Star go. Trek the next generation. <laughs> Boy, wouldn't that be something? See what uh, alien life thinks about Star Trek. Wow. I can't even imagine. The historical documents. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> what were they is that what they called them in Galaxy? Yeah, yeah. Historical documents. Yeah. I mean we're transmitting yeah. those right now, but <laughs> we are. Although, while we are transmitting them, I think the furthest transmission that was powerful enough to kind of go anywhere half decent um, was when Hitler opened the 1936 Olympic Games in Berlin. Um, and that was broadcast around the world and those transmissions should be what, um, 1936. But isn't it true that, that those were pretty weak and would have probably degraded to an extent that if you were, I don't know, 80 light years away, you might not really yeah, pick it up. Probably. But then I read recently that, um, you know, was a Voyager or Pioneer yeah. probes have left the solar system and that heliopause, that, get it, let's call it, um, that region around the solar system where the sun no longer has a significant effect apparently surrounded by some kind of electromagnetic barrier. Mm -hmm. It's not the Great Barrier, it's not a big wall of fiery light that's going to destroy your spaceship, but it's a region. I wonder if an electromagnetic signal trying to pass through this electromagnetic field would be disrupted in some way huh. as to kind of attenuate I it. I thought that, that heliopause is where the like solar wind, which is like charged subatomic particles, kind of the influence... Mm -hmm kind of doesn't have any significance yeah. anymore. So it's like the, the furthest extent of the solar system. There's a, a I want to call it an, an electromagnetic sphere around it. It's the Great Barrier. I don't know exactly it's, what wow. it is. <laughs> kind of, but but not as... Because when it gets to that point, then that kind of effect is is weaker. Yeah, but I'm telling you, it's the big shield that God put around the solar system <laughs> to protect us from invading aliens. Okay. I'm telling you. That's why we haven't seen them thing. yet. Okay. 
That's why they can't get in. They're all alike. There, there's like <laughs> trillions of enemy warships waiting to crash through our yeah, doors. Yeah, and we haven't seen any of them with our telescopes. No. Okay, telescopes. <laughs> They're cloaked. Was there more about the origin of life? <laughs> no, it was just really brief. It's just, a wee, it's just a wee update for listeners that we still haven't found anything. I suppose by the time this goes out, and it's not really an announcement. It's just like if I if we discover it, we record. Listeners are all get, already going to know about it, right? So we're not going to provide any new information. Yeah. To I have to say that the chance that we find extraterrestrial life in the next week and a half between recording this and when the episode comes out is probably small, but it could happen. Should we have a like we haven't found anything, and then like an optional take? <laughs> oh, I just want to say that we have discovered <laughs> alien life just last week. Kind of NASA, <laughs> along with the European Space <laughs> Space Agency, launched a telescope and they found like a planet teeming with humanoids. We can do that in a few minutes, where we can say a preview of next week's episode. We might talk about this, or if we find alien life elsewhere, right. mm -hmm. we'll devote the episode to that. Yeah. Nice amazing if we did that would be really something and if we did we predicted it here first that it's going to happen in the next 10 yeah. days <laughs> i can't wait hope they're i hope they've got pointy ears <laughs> i hope they like star they trek land in a missile complex in central montana <laughs> uh they'd be a little early but yeah that'd be cool well i don't have any honorable mentions okay. <laughs> well let's get to our final thoughts for our science in season seven uh, I just found this very interesting. I learned a lot, the Great Barrier and science vocabulary. No, you called it You called it the Great Barrier, I'm Amy. That's what it is in it's my not, mind. That's not it's, okay. it's what it is. Sorry. Sure. It's my headcanon now. I love it. It's great. <laughs> Damn it. I, fa I failed at teaching. <laughs> So, no, and I really enjoy having these science episodes because I, I learn so much and you two are uh, very good teachers and you amaze me with your intelligence and understanding of these science topics where I'm like, um, I can maybe understand this, but it uh, gives me something to work towards and expand my science knowledge. So thank you for these wonderful, wonderful science episodes. Justin? Yeah, I always really enjoy this because I think for these episodes, uh, Joe, it's a little bit different than other ones because you've selected these episodes, you've selected these topics. So I just kind of show up and see what you're going to talk about. And then we talk about it, which is kind of fun. Um, yeah, but I think it, again, it's it's really great to think of, you know, TNG and its run, you know, 25 to 32 years ago. And there's still things we can take from it to talk about relevant science now um, or about things that still and maybe always will blow our minds like quantum tunneling and the multiverse. Like I can talk about it and kind of understand it, but I don't think anyone really understands what the effect of that would be like or what it would be like to see a different universe or, you know, to observe quantum tunneling for real, you know, so, but it's great that we can, we can talk about these things and get into some real science and, and some, some issues of, of our time. So yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed this. So Joe, we've gone up to season seven. Are you going to do this for the movies too? I think we should. I think there's a whole load more to talk about. Okay. 
Do you ag- agree, Amy? Or yeah, let's get one more yeah, episode where it. we talk about the movies, science in oh, the movies. Oh, I was thinking four more episodes. Oh, I could be wrong. Unless you want to pick one thing from each of the four movies, Joe. Has had on is my is my science series been what what do you Americans say like was it eighty sixth? <laughs> <laughs> no, we're we're uh, wondering. Have I been cancelled? No, no. Well, nobody says <sighs> that it needs to end with the movie. I've been cancelled. I've been sacked live on air. <laughs> No, no. So, Joe, do you want to do a science for all four movies or just one movie at a time? We could see how it goes because there's other things. There's other things that maybe to mention. Because remember, we had the idea of doing uh, what was it? What is the word? My notes. Um, oh, your original other idea that we thought we would fit into yes. one episode, and we're five episodes exactly. Into it. I know. Um, so if. A bit like Justin's episode 300 idea. Oh, which we never if did. We were to, yes, if we were to write an episode based on our 2019 understanding oh, of science like and discoveries, what would a TNG episode? Like, we discovered the Higgs boson and gravitational waves and all sorts of cool oh things. Oh my gosh. Might be sick but we could, for we that could do one. it collaboratively together. All right, let, let, yeah. let, we'll help you, Amy. Okay. We'll but, help you. but but let let's ease into it. Let's let's do the movies. Let's see how the next one goes. If there's a, if you do your research and you find like we could do a whole episode on generations, let's do that. Or we could just do yes. one topic from each of the four movies. Yes. All right. Well, listeners, next week we will be continuing our series on serialized uh, next gen from the fan collective sets. And we are going to be doing the Q episodes. I'm very excited for this. Q is awesome. I enjoy seeing him. So we will be looking at the Q episodes from the next gen. Do you want me to list them off so listeners might watch them in the meantime? Yes, please. Okay. So, oh, I should just mention, so for this fan collective set, it has Q episodes from TNG, the one from DS9 and three from Voyager. We'll just be talking about the TNG ones. That's more than enough for one episode. Um, so it will be Encounter at Farpoint, Hide in Q, Q Who, Deja Q, Cupid, True Q, Tapestry, and All Good Things. You know, three of those are unlike the others, aren't they? And not having Q in the title. Right. But so those eight, or I guess you consider 10 episodes maybe because two of them are kind of two episodes. So, yeah, I think that'll be fun just to focus on Q and see what we think, right? Yeah. Can't wait. Well, it's been so much fun talking about more science in TNG, but that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here's what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, continuing mission. Why they killed that officer what they have to do with Project Perseus. Can I just can I just throw my two cents worth in and say I, I know who they are. They're Smurfs. Oh if only from the planet Smurfia. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me I'm right. <laughs> if you insist, sure, you're right. You're right. You're That's not. But I'll tell I, you. Oh no, I've ruined nice. it. I've ruined it for everybody. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's the first mystery. And then a series of other mysteries happen as it becomes clear that it, on at least one other of the visionary class ships that have now, they're now well on their way outside Federation space, that there was a saboteur. Mm. Earl Grey. 
But he also, he, you know, the first day of shooting, I shook his hand and I said, Mr. Nimoy, you seem to think I, I know what I'm doing here, but I like really don't. And he had said, he had said to me in the, in the, in the audition for the Vulcan uh, um, mystique, think 1000 years of wisdom behind the eyes. And I thought, oh my goodness, that's a tall order. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot, that's a lot to, to put in the eyes. <laughs> Literary treks. We're not messing around anymore. The reset button is gone. Characters' lives are going to move forward. Fortunes are going to change. When things happen, you can take it seriously. It's not all just going to get forgotten by the time the next book comes out next month. This is going to be something that is going to carry forward and is going to have lasting repercussions on all of the literary books, not just the ones written by Mac, not just the ones in this particular sub-series, but by joining them all together and having nods to the Star Trek Corps of Engineers, to Voyager, to DS9, to Enterprise. Standard Orbit. We've had some some various uh, folks and you know uh, guest star roles and things that had passed here and there, um, you know, the last year or so. Um, and, and all of that is sad, but when, when somebody who was really a part of the foundation of what Star Trek is and what it became, it really hits you kind of hard. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad or Apple TV or the desktop Apple Podcasts app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review that helps others find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, YouTube and most third-party apps. And you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will come right to us, and we might read your email on the show like we did today. You can also find the network on Twitter and Instagram at TrekFM and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. So, Joe, where can people contact you when you're not inviting us to dinner? Oh, yeah. Is that still going to happen? Sure, yeah. <laughs> Tomorrow, like, whatever. I'll be there. I was just making my point. It wasn't a real offer. No, I want, if you guys can make it here, that's, I'll make roast chicken and... And selenium. Unless you can invite the transporter in the next 24 hours, unfortunately, I won't be able to make it. Oh, that'd be amazing. I'll go everywhere at the same time. Well, Joe, maybe if you prepare the sea berries. <laughs> sea berries and the kelp buds, also known as seaweed. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, there was another piece of feedback that just came to my head about the Keiko episode. Hashtag still and listening. It was, <laughs> yes, and it was that... You asked, that was the was the question you asked at the end, Justin? And then you mentioned me. I was like, I wonder what Joe would choose. Oh, yeah, that's right. What question? What did yes, I say? Justin. I don't remember the, the question, question, but I remember. Like, and we're like, oh, we'll have to know what Joe... Which character, which character do you like that nobody else seems that's to? Right, yeah. Yes. And I was thinking, popped into my head, Lieutenant Commander Nella Darren.
I love Nilla Darren. Excellent. Yeah, I know, but some people some don't people like her kind of because of the whole shippers one yes, card and Beverly to be or Vash the people that together and like, no that's terrible yeah, like, I, I know, know. Team, team Darren did you did you hear the Earl Grey episode where we talked about uh, Nella Darren I think we had uh, Rob no. Chapman on yeah okay I'm going to do that because I really really like her she's a pianist and she's a physicist and that's me she's like the female version of me in the 24th century Nice. Excellent. So now we can uh, ship you and Picard, I guess. <laughs> if you're like Nella Darren. <laughs> sure. Okay. I would say no. <laughs> Patrick Stewart's a good looking man. He is. <laughs> so when I'm not doing any of that, um, you can find me on Twitter at joeyjoe77uk. You can email me, joepodcasts at gmail.com, or you can get me on the Babel Conference. Joe. I have to say, so I looked it up, Earl Grey 247. You need to listen to it before next week. So you can give us notes on that one. Oh, this could be, this is a new thing. <laughs> yes, I shall. 247. Yeah. 47. I know. Okay. And so is it me next year? So, Justin, where can people contact you when you're not throwing tennis balls at walls? I'm never going to make it go through the wall, am I? Never. Never. never, never in my in my lifetime. But if if somehow I had the technology to live an almost infinite lifetime, I could do that and see on you know the ten to the power of one hundredth time when it goes through the wall. <laughs> I'd have to wait a really long time. Anyway, when I'm not thinking about that or trying to live forever, um, you can find me elsewhere in the network co-hosting the line. That's our Star Trek Picard podcast. I do that with my friends. Chrissy DeClerc Zalagi and Brandon Shamatala. We've been talking about some stuff related to the next generation and Voyager and the run up to Star Trek Picard, which guys, when this episode comes out, it's gonna be a little over a month until Picard comes out and just a couple weeks until the first short trek. Can you even believe it? It's really happening. Um so, so anyway, you can find me on the line. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at TrekFan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek. I do wonder sometimes what the other versions of me in the multiverse might be tweeting about. Maybe they're not tweeting about Star Trek. Hmm. Maybe it's called something different in another universe. I don't know what it would be called. But anyway, you can also find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. So, Amy, where can people contact you when you're not inventing a device to be able to peer into all of the alternate universes where Worf and Troy are together? Well, that <laughs> would be an amazing device. You can find me here on the network on The Edge, uh, where I am talking Star Trek Discovery with my good friend Patrick Devlin. You can find me on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson. And now that college football season is over, I'll be back to my regularly scheduled Star Trek tweets and rewatches. Sorry to say this, Amy, but thank goodness, because I don't follow football. And I was like, Amy needs to tweet more about Star Trek. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, football, football. Oh, man. Sorry, all you lovers of college I know. football. <laughs> no, it's cool. I'm glad that you're passionate about it. But for me, I'm like, I need more Amy talking about Star Trek. Yeah, I, I will. And I, um, while on the plane of, you know, getting back to Santiago and home again, I did watch a couple of Deep Space Nine episodes. So I, oh, okay. yeah, getting back to it. So, um, yes. Yeah, so I, you can find me there. And I am also in the Babel Conference. So you can find me there as well. 
If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you become you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits and more. Available through our special patrons website, Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host and distribute these shows each month. We'd really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. Okay, guys, you want a bonus question? Yes. Yeah. Please. Okay, so we were talking about the multiverse today. So if you could go to a multiverse where something about Star Trek is different, what would it be? Hmm. Can I give you mine maybe to yeah. give an idea? Oh, yep. Well, I would go to the um, the part of the multiverse where a Pike show is airing right now. <laughs> That's what I would do. What about you guys? Okay. I would go to the point in the multiverse in the future where they no longer produce any Star Trek and they've finished it so I can see the entirety of what Star Trek is. All the episodes, everything they've produced, Star Trek, all complete. And I get a giant box set of graphic novels and comics and um, books and magazines and toys. And you mean there's going to be an end to it? I know, that's a little sad. Like, it, when, it has to be. Uh, well, here's, the, here's an interesting thought that I've had sometimes. If we make first contact with an alien species and we find out more of what's actually out there in the universe, and it, of course, differs, would that be kind of the beginning of the end of Star Trek? Because it's not speculating about it. We'd know what was out there. I think there will always be some kind of sci-fi entertainment that always imagines a future. But Star Trek itself has built up something based on a certain kind of future, right? Yeah. But anyway, yes. hopefully what you're talking about is um, a thousand years in the future <laughs> when when that all of Star Trek... we have reached. Yeah. Yeah. The end. Or, yeah. or we have the and Star Trek a billion future, episodes yeah. of Star Trek and 300,000 oh, movies. That's pretty interesting. Okay. Amy? Well, I am going to the multiverse where everyone thinks that Nemesis is the best movie <laughs> and then everyone, we can all enjoy and talk about Nemesis in fond, loving terms. I have to say, Amy, that might require quite a few changes to the universe, <laughs> unfortunately. But hey, you think that it's out there. But uh, it's, it's infinite possibilities, so it's That's out right. there. But do you think like the movie would be the same and people's perceptions of it would be different or the it's, movie would be the different? The movie is exactly the same because that's why I love it. You're okay. not changing the movie. You're so we'll, changing people's perception. We'll just it. we'll just clone Amy seven billion times and uh, move everyone it's else to another possible. galaxy. <laughs> All things are possible. Mm. Listen to your closing, Justin. <laughs> We'd like to take this opportunity to recognize our current associate producers wherever they may be in the multiverse. They are Norman Lau, Michael Huter, Thomas Appel, Chris Trebuzio, Jim McMahon, Joe Keegan, and me, Justin Ozer. Thank you for supporting Trek FM and especially Earl Grey. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. D squared psi by dx squared plus 8 pi squared m over h squared into e minus v times psi equals zero. What? <laughs> Was that Schrodinger's the wa wave equation? Wave equation. Oh, okay. All right. Very, very, I, I know. I thought that just I haven't memorized it. Joe, I just read about these things. I don't know. I the haven't equations. either. 
I read read off the interwebs. Okay. All right. Well, me throwing a tennis ball through the wall and having it pass through the other side outside of my house is only impossible until it's not approximately 10 to the 100 years from now. That's a Google, isn't it? Maybe. 10 to the 100. Go ahead, Amy. Great joy and gratitude. <laughs>